Wednesday afternoon. We're doubling up. We're going back to back today. Um, I do want to thank all of my new listeners. If you're listening to the show for the first time, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, always know that you can interact. You can dial into the show if you'd like, 732-364-3598. You can also comment, whether it's Facebook Live, whether it's Periscope, whether it's on demand on YouTube or Google Play or iTunes. Uh, we're going to actually look into, and uh, we've started doing Instagram over the last couple of days. And it's kind of cool uh, putting one-minute clips up of some of the best of the show. And stuff that, you know, I, I can kind of point to and say, listen, this is when I got into it about this. This is when we brought up this. Kind of brings some stuff to the show that hasn't been brought to the show before. Because a lot of people still look at, you know, the past ball show and say, hey, for eight years, the majority of it has been talking about baseball and baseball history. And we get into some deeper topics. We get into stuff that, you know, is more broad in the terms of sports, but also out there in a world of things going on. And we find out, and those that have watched the show that haven't really focused too much on what the show has been about, uh, find out that the show is about more different things and not just baseball and not just even sports for that matter. So there's a ton of different stuff we get into. So I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. And we're going to do Instagram one-minute videos on some of the major points that I get into to kind of get the interaction or keep the interaction going. And there's also another form or another uh, way that we're going to get the show out there. There's a new thing that we're going to start next week. Once I have a little more information about that, we will we'll bring that up and let that be known as well. So a couple things we want to shoot the show by starting out today is you know, we talk about baseball awards, and I mentioned it as it applies to other sports. You know, the awards that are announced at the end of the season or after the season are discussed more during the actual year than they are around the time they're about to be announced. And obviously, as it applies to baseball, and you think about baseball's awards, you know that there's a lot of stuff that... Um, you know, MLB Network's going to do, they'll do their own, their own thing as they prepare for the awards, probably have a big round table with a bunch of analysts and you'll have sabermetric guys. You'll have, uh, guys that look at certain, uh, standard numbers and they'll kind of, you know, cl- you know, clash and bash heads and, you know, discuss different reasons why they believe certain players should win, you know, the event individual awards. But I was thinking about it and I, I've actually gotten to a point right now where I feel very strong about who should win each one of these individual awards. Of course, we're talking about the respective league MVPs. We're talking about the Cy Young Award winners, the Rookie of the Year awards, and the Manager of the Year awards. Obviously, there's other awards that are given out, the Roberto Clemente Award, the Jackie Robinson Award, and you know different type of awards that are given out, the Comeback Player of the Year, which is something that's probably worth devoting some time to think about. We see some players in baseball that have stood out this year. So, you know, the MVP, uh, and I think it's very AL heavy in regards to the top contenders. In other words, the American League MVP is certainly a lot more to think about and consider as far as really good players and players that probably, if they were playing in the National League, may be leaps and bounds ahead of the other the, the other candidates. 
So you look at J.D. Martinez, and I think it's hard to give the award to anybody else but J.D. Martinez, but this year is extremely interesting in the American League because there's so many different players that have stood out for many different reasons. I mean, if you look at the entire season that Martinez's teammate Mookie Betts has had, you would think that Betts may be the biggest challenge in regards to trying to take the award or possibly taking the award away from J.D. Martinez. I mean, Betts is leading the league in you know, batting average and OPS, and you know, he's had a ridiculous year. And you know, another guy that has really stood out and made this a race, in fact, there's two players that have really stood out in the second half of the year. And I'm looking at it, and I'm putting five players, top five in regards to the MVP, and I'm probably missing one of the players that has stood out that's had a ridiculous season that a lot of people were talking about when the season started that aren't really talking about now. And it's nothing that this particular player has done. I mean, Jose Ramirez of the Cleveland Indians is probably the best player on the Indians. I mean, you look at Corey Kluber, who we'll talk about in a little bit in regards to the Cy Young. You know, Jose Ramirez is probably their MVP. And here's a guy that certainly was top three in the MVP discussion in the American League when it started earlier on this season. But because of the second halves of Chris Davis and Alex Bregman, he's probably taking a step back. And it's amazing that I'm going to mention the five guys that I think are at the top in regards to the, the voting process and should probably deserve the award more than anybody else. And I'm going to leave out Jose Ramirez. And I almost feel like I'm doing him a, a disservice by that. But that speaks to the leaps and bounds that the American League, especially position players this year, have outperformed those players in the National League. JD, um, Jose, Mar, Jose Ramirez should win the MVP if he was playing in the National League. He's played better than any player in the National League, which speaks a lot about the five players that I'm about to mention. You know, J.D. Martinez is going to be the MVP. I don't think there's anything that's going to keep any, you know, him from winning the award. Alex Bregman, with his 50 doubles, his 30 home runs, the ridiculous second half he's had this year for the Houston Astros, makes him the absolute second. So when I'm thinking about third place, I'm thinking about three players vying for that third spot and conceding that Jose Ramirez is probably not going to be that third player. So I look at Mookie Betts, and obviously the season that he's had, he's been extremely consistent all year. Obviously the only player getting in his way is J.D. Martinez's teammate. So I think of Mike Trout, and a lot of people always want to throw Mike Trout's name in there. And I was one to say that, you know, a year like this with the candidates that you have this year as opposed to other years, it may be a good year to leave Mike Trout up and just not mention Mike Trout this year and just let somebody else win it. It's kind of like the basketball argument that people have when it, when they talk about LeBron James. LeBron James every year is certainly a candidate and is certainly considered by many the MVP of the NBA each year. But it's almost like the voters and fans and the media want to try to find somebody else so LeBron James doesn't win it every year. The same argument can be said about Mike Trout and the numbers that he puts up year in and year out. 
Now, he got a little bit of an excuse in 2017 because he was hurt. He only played in 114 games. He still finished fourth, by the way. And it just shows how strong his numbers are. And the year that he's having this year has really gone unnoticed because of the years that I just mentioned, of J.D. Martinez and Bregman and Betts and Jose Ramirez and even Chris Davis, who I'm going to talk about in a little bit. But Mike Trout has gotten his strikeouts down. He's got a chance this year for the second straight year. Now, he, he's got two more strikeouts than walks. Last year, he had four more walks uh, four more walks than strikeouts. So a guy who led the league in strikeouts in 2014 when I was knocking him, a year that he won the MVP, by the way, and I was saying, listen, you could talk about Mike Trout being the best player in baseball. You could talk about Mike Trout being an all-time great, but he's got to find a way to cut, cut down on his strikeouts. And people were coming at me saying, why are we going to judge Mike Trout for something that we're not judging anybody else for? In other words, everybody in Major League Baseball strikes out a ton. But Mike Trout has actually become a better player. He's become a better defensive center fielder. He's become a better base runner. I mean, he's stolen 24 bases this year. He's only been caught twice. But he has managed to work at the stuff that he needs to work on. And you figure a guy who's considered a consensus best player in all of Major League Baseball would not have to work at anything to try to get better. And Mike Trout has gotten better. Mike Trout has cut down on his strikeouts. He's gotten himself to a point where he has a chance for the second straight year to finish the season with more walks than strikeouts. He leads the league in OPS. He leads the league in on-base percentage. He leads the league in OPS+, plus, which, by the way, is a career high for him at 200 as we stand right now. So for those that want to say yes because of the strength of the American League and the fact that there's so many more players in the mix, I think you're doing Mike Trout a little bit of a disservice if you're not considering him. And I got him as fourth. I got Chris Davis as fifth. Now, the only thing that's holding Chris Davis back is his batting average. And I understand we live in a game right now where batting average is not that big of a deal. And we say if you're able to supplement that with a high on-base percentage and a high slugging percentage, that you can deal with somebody that is hitting 249 like Chris Davis is right now. But I can't put Chris Davis even in my top three in regards to MVP in the American League because of the years that the other players have had. J.D. Martinez, Betts, Bragman, Trout. I mean, they're all doing similar things to what Chris Davis is doing. And I understand Chris Davis is leading the league in home runs. He's got a ton of runs batted in. He's had a great season. And like I said about a lot of the other players, he would certainly be in the mix if it wasn't for what, are these, what these other players are doing. So I look at it, J.D. Martinez, Bregman, Betts, they would be my three finalists. I'd leave Trout out this year, but I think he, he should be fourth. Uh, you got Chris Davis, you got Jose Ramirez. So you really got six legitimate MVP candidates that exist in the American League. Now, as you go over to the National League, um, you know, you've got some guys that have had pretty good seasons, but... When you're looking at the likes of a Matt Carpenter and you're looking at the likes of a Trevor Story, and you can put their seasons up there, and they've both had very good seasons. But when you think about the possibility of them being the MVP in your respective league, I hate to say it's a little bit watered down. And I don't mean to knock Carpenter. I don't mean to knock Trevor Story. They've had very good seasons. But seasons that you would look at in the past, 
certainly not up there with what Giancarlo Stanton did last year. Certainly not up there with other different things that I've seen. And uh, Bash Wills asked, why aren't college athletes being paid? I'll tell you, that is a great topic. It is one that I've covered on this show another time. And I, I, I'll, I'll mention it if I have a chance to elaborate on it a little bit. But I agree 100%. They should be getting paid. The amount of revenue that they're providing for the the amount of revenue that they provide for the schools, especially the big-name schools, without those athletes and what the athletes do and bring to the table, those schools don't get anywhere near the amount of money. So I think at some point we're going to hit a, a time where college athletes are going to have to be paid. Now, I, I, I do think, you know, going back to what I'm talking about in regards to the MVP race, the National League, they, Trevor Story and Matt Carpenter, I think are good players and players that have had decent seasons and very good seasons and ones that should be commended for what it is that they've done. But they're certainly not MVP type of players. And you look at a guy like Javier Baez and Christian Yelich, and I'll tell you, the player that stands out to me is Yelich. And Yelich missed a little time when the season started. And there actually was a little bit of a concern for the Brewers as they were getting ready, all the all the different moves that they made to try to set themselves up for this year. Obviously, the discussion was about how they needed to improve at starting pitcher, how they needed to add a legitimate ace to that staff if they wanted to be a legitimate contender this year. And they've been a contender this year because of their offense, because they went out, were very aggressive, made the trade for Yelich, made the signing of Lorenzo Kane, And, you know, for a couple weeks when Yelich was out, it was the discussion was did they make a mistake? Did they not emphasize starting pitching as much as they should? Well, the Milwaukee Brewers are on their way to the playoffs this year and absolutely would be in a different type of position if it wasn't for what Yelich has brought to the table. He is the most valuable player in the National League because if you take Yelich away from the Brewers, I don't think they're in the mix. I think they're above 500 team. They may finish, you know, four or five games behind the Cardinals and the Rockies and a couple other teams. But what he has done to that lineup, he extends it. He, he certainly ha- has played as if he was kind of in the shadow of a former, former MVP that was on that team in Ryan Braun. It's almost like it's become Yelich's team. And this is a guy that really all around from his ability to play defense, his ability to throw the ball, his ability to run the bases, hit for average, hit for power. He's leading the league in batting average, slugging percentage, OPS, OPS plus. He's scored 110 runs. He's got 180 hits. And once again, he missed some time earlier this season. So I look at you know the other players, and the other players are good. Javier Baez has had a good season. He's had that big breakout season. And I remember talking with a couple fantasy baseball buddies of mine about Javier Baez becoming a legitimate star, you know, two, three, four years ago. So it's taken him a little time. He's had that aha moment. He's become what you could consider maybe the best player on the Chicago Cubs right now. And that's saying a lot because you still have Anthony Rizzo at first base. You still have Chris Bryant, even though he's been hurt this year, playing third. So, you know, kudos to Baez for having the year that he's having, but it's not good enough if you're comparing it to what Christian Yelich has had. So I go Yelich, Baez, Carpenter, 
and then I put three players in the background, fourth, fifth, and sixth in any order that you want, Trevor Story, Freddie Freeman, and Nolan Arenado. So I look at it, and I think it's a very deep, they, you know, very deep uh, you know, set of criteria in regards to the American League. The National League, I think it gets watered down kind of after Baez. Baez is a good second. But, you know, I look at Matt Carpenter, and I'm like, God, I can't imagine giving the MVP to him. Now, not not ever, but not off of anything that he has done yet. Not off of anything that he has done, you know, this year. He'd have to crank his game up yet another level and would have to see something that we've never seen out of Matt Carpenter before, before I would consider him for the MVP in the National League. So I'm going to go through the other awards real quick. And anybody that wants to contribute, the number 732-364-3598. Like I said, comment on, you know, either Periscope or Facebook Live. Um, you know, Bash Wills adds, you know, that's why they should give a award of best player on the planet. You know, listen, if you look at Mike Trout and you have to consider him, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll throw this one point in before I move on. You know, Mike Trout, you know, if you listened to me yesterday talking about Tiger Woods being a living legend, when it's all said and done, Mike Trout might rank as one of the top ten or top five offensive players to ever play the game in a sport that has had Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb and Ted Williams and Rogers Hornsby and Barry Bonds and Lou Gehrig. Mike Trout might actually break that type of company. So when we're talking about living legends and we're talking about having a chance to see one of the greatest players to ever play the game in any sport, you, know, you may want to cherish what you're seeing with Mike Trout year in and year out because you're seeing the sport go on, you know, the Angels continuing to struggle, but other players get noticed for what they've been doing. And Mike Trout still consistently year after year putting up elite numbers, Hall of Fame type numbers. And in some cases, not getting the credit he deserves because, number one, he's playing for a bad team. But number two, you know, the other players in the American League have stood up to the forefront and given him a lot more competition if we're talking about the MVP this year. So, you know, watch out. Study your Mike Trout. Watch him play day in and day out. Because when it's all said and done, when his career is over, if you didn't watch it, like a flash, it might just go by. It might be over. And you might say, wow. That was one of the greatest players to ever play in this game. And I didn't necessarily give him the time that he deserved or the time that, you know, you deserved as a fan to be able to appreciate how great he's been. Cy Young, I think the National League is starting to get to a point where I think people are coming to a consensus. And I understand that there are some people that are still very high on this wins thing. You know, the amount of wins that you get or win-loss record or uh, best player on, best pitcher on a winning team. And I understand that there's, you know, reasons for discussions like this. And that's why Aaron Noel is going to get a lot of credit. You know, he's had a great season for a team that will miss out on the playoffs, but has been a contender the majority of the year. You got Max Scherzer's 300 strikeouts, maybe having his best season. And you can make a case that Max Scherzer has pitched better this year than he has in a couple of the years where he's won the Cy Young before. But Jacob DeGrom, to me, is doing something that you really haven't seen since the days of Steve Carlton. It's hard to have a consensus best pitcher in a particular league 
and be on a team that is just not that good. And what DeGrom has had to deal with, the the games that he's pitching, the team that he has around him not showing up, bullpens, blowing games for him late, offense, scoring runs for Zach Wheeler and Noah Syndergaard at alarming rates sometimes. And then when it comes time for Jacob DeGrom to pitch, they just don't score anything. His 177 ERA, his sub-1 whip, the 259 strikeouts, and if you like wins above replacement, he's a a nine and a half win player, nine point six WAR. That means, you know, he he brings to the table nine and a half wins to the Mets, a team that is ten games under five hundred right now, or even lower, eleven games under five hundred. So the Mets have had a good second half this year, but one thing that has stayed very steady for them has been Jacob Degrom. He's gone out there in just about each one of his starts. And it put the Mets in a position where they should win just about every one of his games. I mean, the fact that he's sitting there with a 177 ERA, it's about a half a run, even more, of a, a difference between him and a second place in the National League. Blake Snell is sitting at a, you know, a little bit above two you know, in regards to the American League, which is you know, going to be in a, you know, what I'm going to talk about next. But if you start out his season, he gave up one run in five and two-thirds innings against the Cardinals in a game the Mets won. One run in six innings against the Washington Nationals. He gave up four runs in six innings, a game where he gave up seven hits and a walk. Probably had his worst, uh, what is his worst start of the year by a mile. Gave up three runs in seven and a third. Seven shutout innings. Seven and a third shutout innings. I know he, he had a couple games where he had to be taken out early. One was because of pitch count against the Phillies where he just went one inning but didn't give up any runs. Pitched four shutout innings against the Braves, had to leave that game early because of a rain delay. But after that, dude, he goes out there 7-7-7-7-8-7-8-6-6-8-8-8-7-8-6-6-2-3-9-6-8-6-7-7-7. So just from a consistency standpoint is – the workhorse every single time. Not in one of those starts gave up any more than three runs. And in fact, in that whole run, he gave up just three runs twice. So you're looking at a guy that really is having a Cy Young season. And, you know, we could talk about wins and how important they are. And yes, they are. And the fact that Jacob DeCrom, the games that he's pitching, the Mets seem to lose more than a win, I think speaks more about how bad the Mets are and how bad of a job they've done to give him the proper support that he needs than anything that Jacob DeGrom has done. And, I mean, I think it's getting to a point where it should almost be unanimous. And it's not a knock against Max Scherzer. It's not a knock against Aaron Nola. It's not a knock against either one of those guys. They've had fantastic seasons. Scherzer's season was prob- is probably good enough to be Cy Young. Nola's season is certainly good enough to be Cy Young. But you're at a point where you really got to reward the pitcher that's had the best season, the pitcher that has contributed to mo- the most. And you can't have, and uh, you know, we've gotten to a point, and I remember Justin Verlander winning the MVP in the American League, you know, was about five years back. I know it's getting to a point where it's very hard to do that. It's very hard to reward a pitcher with an MVP award. And that's why the Cy Young 
really has to be about the pitcher that has dominated the most. Not the pitcher that's pitched for the best team. Not the pitcher that has had the biggest contribution over their team's winning. And I understand the Mets can be a fourth or fifth place team without Jacob DeGrom. They don't need him to be where they are. But I tell you, he needs to be rewarded for the season that he's had. I'd go DeGrom, Scherzer, Noah in that order. I don't even care who finishes fourth and fifth. American League, I think there's a little more of a discussion. And I'm going to throw out a name that a lot of people haven't discussed. There's been talk on MLB Network and, you know, a lot of the people that are very, uh, you know, know, in love with baseball and talking about baseball all the time have mentioned. But, you know, Blake Snell stands out to me. And he, and he has made a difference. You could talk about Jacob DeGrom not making a difference, but you could talk about his war number. But Blake Snell has been a major reason why the Tampa Bay Rays have been in a mix in the second half of the year and the year that he has had. And he's actually gotten his ERA under two. He's won 21 games this year. And you're talking about a Tampa Bay team that isn't even interested in in extending starters past four or five innings. They're spending a couple days where they had the bullpen game, and then they had the opener. So they got times through their rotation where they're not even trying to run out a starter for a considerable period of time. So that adds to me to the mystique of what Blake Snell has done this year. The fact that, and I know, wins are not that important, but he's backed up 21 wins with a 190 ERA. He's had over 200 strikeouts. He's made his 30 starts. He's got an ERA plus of 216. So he's had a ridiculous season. And you could talk about Chris Sale and the start that he got off to this year, but he's missed too much time. And Chris Sale, when it's all said and done, could probably care less about winning the Cy Young. He wants to help the Boston Red Sox succeed in the postseason, which is why he's getting ready for probably the Yankees series or whoever wins the Yankees athletics wildcard game. And he's going to put pedal to the metal there. And he wants to be judged by what the Red Sox do this postseason, as opposed to last year when they couldn't get past the first round. So I'm not even putting Sale in my top three. Another guy who very quietly has had a year that has been pretty, you know, pretty comparable to years he's had in the year years past is Corey Kluber. And Corey Kluber can be considered pretty much the Mike Trout of the American League when it comes to being in the mix for the Cy Young year in and year out. He won his first Cy Young in 2014 with that breakout season. He lost 16 games a year later, but was on a team that wasn't as good. It has backed it up with three Cy Young-type seasons back-to-back-to-back. He finished third place in 2016, won it last year when he went 18-4 with a 225 ERA, and very quietly has put up a season that is pretty... Uh, pretty much a carbon copy of what he's done over the past several years. He's won a career-high 20 games. He's pitched to a sub-3 ERA. He's pitched an American League high 210 innings. He's got 216 strikeouts. DRA plus is not as high as it was last year when it was 204. It sits at 155. He's got a sub-1 whip. You know, he, he doesn't walk a lot of batters. He deserves credit, and I think he should be second. So, the player that I have finishing third in regards to the Cy Young in the American League is a reliever. And I think it's very hard to put a reliever up there in regards to what starting pitchers are, but we're, let's be serious. It's a reliever's game right now. 
Bullpens are so much more important. Depth in bullpens are important. And it is probably slightly more important now than it was years ago, but not in the leaps and bounds that bullpens are important. But closers, a dominant closer, can really make a difference. And one closer has, and that's Edwin Diaz of the Seattle Mariners. His season that he has had really has been one of the differences between Seattle being in the mix and Seattle not being in the mix. If you look at some of the the players they've had offensively, they've got to deal with the Robinson Cano suspension. King Felix is no longer King Felix. James Paxton being hurt for as long as he was this year. The one consistent has been Edwin Diaz. And he might not get to, you know, 62 in regards to saves, but he's had a ridiculous season and deserves credit. And I think we're going to get to a point when it comes to Cy Young's in Major League Baseball that we have to start considering relievers as much as we are starters. And I think Edwin Diaz, if he finishes third or if he finishes second, I think would be a good step in that direction. We could start considering relievers based off of the years that they've had. And I understand they're not pitching as many innings as starters, even though they're pitching more innings than they ever have before. But you know, I'd go Snell, I'd go Kluber, I'd go Diaz, and Snell should be, should be unanimous, pretty close to Jacob DeGrom in the National League. So I'd consider Snell as a fourth or fifth place candidate. Same thing with Justin Verlander. Rookie of the year. I know in the American League, a lot of people are talking about, you know, Miguel Andujar with the Yankees. He's had a great year. A lot of people don't want to give a rookie of the year award to a player that comes over from Japan. Shohei Otani, what he has done offensively, just by himself, has been ridiculous. Here's a guy that was uh, touted as a pitcher, and I know he's about to have Tommy John surgery, which might kill his year next year. But... You know, the fact that he was promoted as a pitcher, and I know he was promoted as a pitcher that could also hit, one of, you know, one of the first two-way players that we've seen in Major League Baseball, and maybe the first dominant two-way player since the days of Babe Ruth. But Otani has exceeded expectations as a hitter. I don't think anybody looked at him as a 20-plus home run guy. I don't think anybody looked at him as a 900 OPS guy. You know, he's, he's gone out there and he's hit 20 doubles. He's been a tremendous, tremendous hitter. Not just a pitcher that can hit. He's not Bob Gibson. He's not Rick Russell. He's not Don Robinson or Dwight Good. He's not Bob Lemon. Not a not a pitcher that can just hit pretty well. He is a ridiculous, ridiculous offensive player. And an offensive player that is good enough that the Angels or anybody else that he belonged to would have to, would have to keep him in the lineup at, at any situation. I don't care if he's pitching every six days or every five days. You've got to keep his bat at the lineup. And I think because of that, he stands out. And for those that are talking about Ichiro and Hideki Matsui and players that spent a series of years in Japan, let's remember, Shohei Otani has not done that. He bypassed all that. He came up to the majors at age 23. He passed the opportunity that he had to get paid well in Japan passed up the opportunity to get paid well eventually in Major League Baseball by jumping from Japan into Major Leagues. So the fact that he's 23, he decided to come over and play Major League Baseball in America right now makes it no doubt that Otani should be the rookie of the year in the American League. I'd give Andujar second. I'd give Glaber Torres third in the American League. Ronald Acuna's impact on the Atlanta Braves kind of gives him the edge over Juan Soto. 
Soto will finish second. And I talked about Walker Bueller a couple weeks ago. If it wasn't for the seasons that Acuna and Soto had, you'd be talking about Walker Bueller as your rookie of the year. So uh, it's, it's easy. American League, Giltani, Andujar, Torres, and any NL, Acuna, Soto, Bueller. Manager of the year, to me, I think these should both be unanimous. Kevin Cash in the American League, I don't care that the Rays aren't making the playoffs. There is no reason that that team should be winning 90 games this year. They stripped any last bit of talent that they had coming into the season. And anybody they had left over, they were anxious to want to trade once the season started. So this was a team that was stripped of just about everything that they possibly had in regards to being competitive. And they have way exceeded expectations. And you can talk about the Oakland Athletics. They've had a great year, absolutely. But Bob Melvin doesn't belong on the same planet as Kevin Cash in regards to the, the manager of the year award in the American League. I'd go Cash, Melvin, Scott Service of Seattle. And finally, in the National League, Brian Snicker, what he's done with the Atlanta Braves, a team that was in turmoil, a team that didn't know what direction it was going into after their front office ended up having to be switched over. John Hart decided to leave. John Coppolello was was uh, banned for life. You know, Gordon Blakely was uh, suspended. So they obviously went through a lot of turmoil there. With that turmoil, Alex Anthopoulos comes in, decides to retain a lot of the things in the same conditions, but he didn't have to. And that team ends up coming through. Brian Snicker, who got some... Uh, you know, not no pun intended. Some people were snickering at the fact that maybe he wasn't for the job as the Atlanta Brave manager last year. He's earned it. Manager of the year in the National League. Mike Schilt, the year he's done in St. You know, he's had in St. Louis since he took over as manager midseason. I think he'd be a good second. And Gabe Kapler. You got to give Gabe Kapler credit for what he's done in, in Philadelphia. Even though the Phillies have struggled down the stretch and are not going to make the playoffs this year, I think you should give him some credit. So I'd go. Snicker, Schilt, Kapler in the National League, Cash, Melvin, Service in the American League. So the next thing I wanted to get into, you know, the, the in college football, I think a lot of things became prominent during the title national championship game last year when Alabama decided to make the, the quarterback change. And Tago Villaloa, and I'm not probably not saying his, his name right, but it just shows that I'm not a big college, college football guy. But the decision that was made to pull their starting quarterback and go to their freshman is something that a lot of other teams have decided to do. Now, Ohio State has got Dwayne Haskins and decided to go with JT Barrett when you feel like Haskins might give you a better chance to win a national championship this year. They went to leadership. Urban Meyer decided to go with Barrett. Now, there's a bigger decision and a tougher decision that had to be made in regards to, you know, Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence. And I look back at this decision, and it's something that's going to cost Clemson and Coach Dabo Swinney the, the quarterback. Kelly Bryant's probably going to transfer now. He's going to say, listen, I'm, I haven't been given a fair enough shot here. It sucks. This is my senior year, my chance to run this team. And in his own mind, he probably feels like he gives his team the best chance to win. Now, 
Sweeney's got to make a decision over who he thinks gives him the best chance to win right now. Now, sometimes that decision is different than it is in, in the NFL. In fact, all the time it is. If you think of the NFL, you know, you're looking for the quarterback that's going to give you the best chance to win right now, but also the best chance to win over the next series of years. You got more time. You don't have that time in college football. Sometimes you want to feel like you got a guy who is a senior. You know it's going to be his last year there. You know that he may or may not give you the best chance to win right now. And if you go with the younger guy, you know the younger guy is going to be around with you for the next couple of years. A coach may decide, all right, well, maybe I should go with the younger guy because he may be our quarterback for the next three years. I don't want to have to maybe change offenses or change offensive philosophies or change my play calling after one season. Now, I understand why it would be a very difficult decision for a head coach. And I'm sure, you know, that Dabo Sweeney, and you hear from his comments, it was something that he certainly sweated over. He certainly spent a lot of time thinking about it. And when he had to make the decision, he had some remorse in doing it. And I think you could have some respect for a coach that shows his true emotions, shows how he really felt about it, and showed that it, when it's all said and done, it's not going to go down as one of his better days. Because I think it, from an emotional standpoint, he's looking at a quarterback, a guy that he has believed in, has led them to the postseason before, two bowl games, and you know, to turn his back almost on a guy that he has shown a lot of faith in is something that you could tell impacted the coach. Now, he feels that Lawrence gives himself and his team a better chance to win right now. And remember, you know, Clemson is you know, making a run for the national championship. To just play in a respectable bowl game is not going to be good enough. They want to be in the BCS. They want to have a chance to win a national championship this year. And those decisions in college football, you know, and I know they're becoming more headline material now than they ever have been before. But you've looked at, you know, great schools that have had a series of very good quarterbacks. And when you talk about the top schools in a country, you're talking about the top players that play all different positions that are being recruited from all over the country. So the backup quarterback on a nationally ranked or a team that is considered to be in BCS contention, they should have an absolute star as their backup. They should have a star in waiting as their third string quarterback. So the guy that's starting, you know, probably is the most talented or the guy that the coach believes in the most, but you would expect other players to be recruited as they're sitting there as the second best or the third best. So these decisions are going to come up more and more. And I think the coach for Clemson you know, made a tough decision, a decision that down the road he may be sad about because I think he, he loves, I think he cares very much about Kelly Bryant. But he felt like it was the best decision for his football team, and it's going to cost him Kelly Bryant because Kelly Bryant took the day off. He ends up deciding he's going to transfer. He's going to walk away. He's going to go to a different school so he can play next year. And good for Kelly Bryant. Because I'm sure he wants to see how he can perform at this level. Maybe he's thinking about playing in the pros. Maybe going to the NFL. And he's not going to get that chance if he's sitting on the bench in Clemson. And that's what a lot of these other players have to consider. These other starting quarterbacks that have had to take a step back 
and not play for their Division One highly, you know, respected school, maybe looking at their chances of playing in the National Football League kind of deteriorating. And maybe their consideration to be drafted or to even sign as a free agent after the draft. Maybe going down the tubes because they're not playing at their respective school. So I understand it from their perspective as well. Last thing I wanted to talk about today. And uh, Foles, Bob decides to say, uh, I wish I was MLB commissioner. I'd make so many changes. And I agree. I mean, there's a lot of different things you could talk about in regards to Major League Baseball and the amount of things that you'd like to see different. And, you know, I would start out by thinking about realignment, interleague play, maybe through expansion, trying to keep some of the interleague play that we have right now. You know, there's the decision, should you have the designated hitter? Should you, you know, should you, you know, have it in, in both leagues? I think that's something that, unfortunately, whether you are pro-DH or anti-DH, it's something that's becoming inevitable and something we'll see probably sooner rather than later. But, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, MLB commissioner, I, I would make a lot of changes to the game, too. I would certainly want to look at the playoff situation. Now, I want to reward the team that has the best record in each respective leagues. And a couple shows I, go, I did last week, I kind of elaborated on my idea of what I would do to reward the team that finishes with the best record in each respective league. And I'm actually going to put some literature to it. I'll put it up on my website within the next week or so. So, you know, Bob Foles, you know, thank you for giving me the inspiration. I'll put, you know, what I mentioned on my show a couple weeks ago in regards to uh, a realignment, but not so much a realignment, but a postseason picture in Major League Baseball that will reward the Boston Red Sox for having the best record in the American League, would reward the Chicago Cubs if they end up holding off the Atlanta Braves and the Dodgers for having the best record in the National League. But I will put that up. I'll get up on my website pretty soon. So as we move to the point where we are a considerable amount of minutes into the show today, and I do thank everybody for tuning in, we'll probably be back with you Friday morning. That'll be the regular Friday show. We'll do the NFL picks. I'll talk about the games that I'm actually putting money on. And, you know, I, I like when people get all excited about their picks and say, hey, these are teams that I think will win this week. Well, I think there's a lot more power when you're actually putting money down on it. And I thank the great state of New Jersey for legalizing sports betting. And over the course of the last three weeks of the National Football League season, I've actually put money on the games that I've talked about on my show. Have I had the best results? No, but we're looking to rebuild and rebound with a solid week four. So we'll talk about that on Friday. Last thing I wanted to mention, and you know, the amount of time that I spent talking about the um, awards in Major League Baseball, a little bit about the college football and the quarterback situation, um, I'm not going to spend as much time talking about this last topic. But I hope to make a couple powerful points with it. And you know, you, you couldn't get away from it even if you tried it to avoid the news. Bill Cosby, of course, was found guilty of his you know, sexual misconduct and was sentenced to prison for three to ten years yesterday. Now, you look at Bill Cosby, and obviously he has fallen considerably from the American dad that he was 
in, his, in the 70s and the 80s, and a guy that was known for the pudding commercials, the guy that was known for Fat Albert, and all the different things that brought Bill Cosby to the spotlight. His, his stand-up, by the way, especially in the 70s, was so underrated. I mean, this was a guy that really was. And he, he, he used basic humor. He didn't go overboard. He didn't try too hard. He just was naturally funny. And it's a shame every time you see somebody that is in the spotlight and is kind of glorified for certain things that they do, be put in a position that Bill Cosby is in. Now, he did it to himself. So in that regards, there's nobody he has to blame but himself for his actions. And his actions are put more on the national forefront because of who he is and the fact that he was found guilty in a court of law. But what I wanted to talk about is how should you remember somebody like that? Now, I think it's easy to say, listen, he failed, he screwed up, he's going to serve time for it. So should you remember him as a bad person or a perv or a, a, a person that was a sexual abuser? Or should you take the route of taking your positive memories in this person and remember him for the innovator? Remember him as being a comedian. Remember him for all the different things that he accomplished and all the lives that he entertained over a series of about 40 years. Now, we could talk about the seriousness of sexual assault, which could be set or tabled for another discussion. You can bring it up if you want. If, if it really bothers you, and it should bother a lot of people, certainly should bother, bother the victims that he ended up, you know, basically uh, impeding their lives by doing the things that he did. But when it comes down to it, if you happen to be a person that wasn't impacted by what Bill Cosby did, and a lot of people, and in fact, most people were not impacted by what Bill Cosby did. So they still will look at Bill Cosby however they want to or choose to. But I would choose to remember Bill Cosby as an innovator, as a comedian, as Fat Albert. And I even remember him as a person that is, you know, I remembered in my youth, certainly having a, a very impactful voice in it in regards to what he did in comedy. But also the show that he, he did and represented and voiced for Nickelodeon and Nick Jr. called Little Bill. I remember my, my daughter being two, three years old and watching that show, and it was a very good show. So, you know, he was involved in both my life and my daughter's life. Now, it's a shame what he did. What he did was absolutely screwed up, and he's paying for it right now. He's going to prison. You know, you can talk about Michael Vick in the NFL for running that dog ring where all those dogs were killed. Now, if, if you're a dog lover, you may never be able to forgive Michael Vick for that. But what he did is he served his time. He was found guilty, and he ended up going to prison, and he served his time. Now, you can talk about O.J. Simpson if you want. O.J. Simpson was found not guilty of the murder of his wife and his wife's boyfriend. Now, was he guilty or not guilty? Of course, in a court of public opinion, he's probably guilty. 
and he could talk about the different facts, and he could talk about the different things that were screwed up in his trial, but when it came down to a court of law, he was still found not guilty. Now, what he did in regards to stealing the memorabilia and having to serve the time that he did there, he had to pay the price for what he did. And he may have paid some of the price for what he did or didn't do or may have done in regards to killing his wife. But I look at O.J. Simpson in a similar way that I may look or choose to look at Bill Cosby. O.J. Simpson was a Hall of Fame running back. The Juice was one of the best runners that the game has ever seen. He's up there with Jim Brown. He's up there with Eric Dickerson. He's up there with Earl Campbell and Barry Sanders and Emmett Smith. And he did it at a time where he was basically the face of the National Football League. And when he retired, he got into broadcasting, but he also got into movies. His character, Norberg, in the Naked Gun series, was one of the most hilarious characters that i ever seen in my life. It's part of the reason, part of the reason why I love that movie. You know, he, he did stuff for, you know, for Hertz Rent-A-Car and actually had a pretty good career outside of the National Football League. Overall, he was a success. But one thing that obviously brought him down was the murder of his wife. And whether he physically did it or had something to do with it, it's something that's going to be a an extreme scar when you're trying to judge who O.J. Simpson is or who O.J. Simpson is going to be remembered to be. Now, I choose to remember O.J. Simpson, the football player. I choose to remember O.J. Simpson for his portrayal of Norberg in the Naked Gun series. I thought that character was hilarious. I choose to remember Bill Cosby for voicing Fat Albert, for hosting the, the Cosby show, being the American dad. You know, his pudding commercials and being a, a pretty funny guy in his stand-up that he did in the 70s. That's what I choose to remember these people for. Now, you could choose differently. You're given your own brain. You're the general of that thing. You have the control of your own thoughts and what you want to remember people for. But I'd rather, and this is not every single case, but I'd rather remember Bill Cosby for all the great that he did. Now, obviously, now is probably not the time to talk about Bill Cosby's life and, and all the good things that he did, because he obviously did some really bad things over that same time and is paying for it right now. But I choose to remember Bill Cosby, the comedian, Bill Cosby, Cosby voicing over Fat Albert and Little Bill. And I'd rather not remember him for what he did in regards to sexual assault to these women. Now, like I said, you could have a different opinion, but that's mine. Quick recap of the show. Um, I'll put it up on my website, the uh, postseason awards for Major League Baseball, who I would have in my top three. Um, check out johnpielli.com. I'll pop that up there. Uh, you got the NCAA situation with the quarterbacks. You got a, a veteran, a senior. And in some cases, you may not feel that that quarterback gives you the chance to win. It's a tougher decision you make in college football than it is in the pros. Obviously, the pros, you're looking more long-term. In college, it's short-term, but you're impacting people's lives and their ability to potentially play professional football. Last thing, I'm remembering Bill Cosby for being a hilarious guy, 
for being American Dad, for being a, a great in sitcoms. And I'm choosing not to remember him for you know being a convicted rapist and molester of women and sexual assaulter. We'll be back with you on Friday. We'll do NFL picks then. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.